Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Heroes Publish. I'm your host, Adam Bird, uh, today, and I am super stoked and excited to be bringing a, a very special man uh, who I have grown a, just a ton of respect and, and honored to be able to call him a friend uh, now. It's somebody I, I look up to. Uh, he's an author, uh, but more importantly, he's a, he's a community hero. He was a Navy SEAL turned Army doctor. And as long as I've known him now, even when I say that, it's still it, it's still funny to say that because it's not something you hear of every day. Navy SEAL turned Army doctor. His first book, Six Days of Impossible, uh, Navy SEAL Hell Week, A Doctor's Look Back. And he's recently written a, a new book that we'll jump into here in a little bit, uh, Swords and Saints, A Doctor's Journey. So uh, without further ado, my friend, uh, Dr. Robert Adams. Bob, how are you this morning? Good, Adam. Thank you very much for doing this. Absolutely. Absolutely. So listen, why don't we jump right into this? Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, you know, they take up all the time you got because I'm looking back on a lot of years. But, um, you know, I started out at the Naval Academy, as did my father and grandfather. Uh, fifth generation career military goes all the way back to the Civil War. Matter of fact, my great great granddad's commissioning certificates at the Battle of Gettysburg are hanging on my wall upstairs, signed by Abraham Lincoln. So, military family goes way back. Nice. Um, spent a year and a half on a destroyer before I was allowed to go to Navy SEAL training, and uh, went went through SEAL training with seventy men. Uh, Eleven of us made it, and that's what the first book is about: Navy SEAL Hell Week. And I, you know, that book took me three and a half years to write. Uh, simply because I had to interview all of my men and uh, classmates and try to figure out what it was we had in common because a doctor looks back is, is one of the more important pieces of that book. It walks you through all, all six days of hell, minute by minute, day by day, but it also tells the stories of the 11 men. And what I did in researching the book was see if I could find a common theme. Why did we succeed when all 60 others did not? Right. Everybody was in equally good shape because they make sure you're ready when you go through Hell Week. But 60 people walked away. And I found that theme. Uh, the, the theme, I'll, I'll, and I'll give away the fun part of the book uh, that I love people to discover on their own. And that is every single one of us that made it had already been beaten up by life in one way or another before we decided to go to SEAL training. Okay. So when the instructors are pushing you, you know, you've got to decide, wow, you know, you know, can I keep doing this? But if life's already beat you up pretty bad, you can go, ah, I've seen this before. I can handle it. So is, it, pretty much, is, it, is it a mindset then? Does it boil down to just a, somebody's it mindset? A learned mindset. Okay. You know, I, I look back at my classmates. Um, you know, in my case, I grew up with an alcoholic father in a dysfunctional family. The I have another two classmates that grew up so poor that poor had four O's in the word. Uh, another one that was an adopted um uh, uh, dropped on on a 70-year-old couple's doorstep by a 16-year-old girl who didn't didn't want him, you know, grew up uh, as a hockey fighter. So they all had, you know, others that were farmers and, you know, working from, you know, sun, sunrise to sun up at 10 years old. So <clears throat> two of us uh, of the 11 shared with each other after I uh, started researching the book that we had never really found our physical or mental limits during this process, which is designed to take you to the absolute physical and mental limits. And we're embarrassed. We didn't tell anybody. I never found it. You know, I was really tired and I didn't want it to go any, you know, one second further, but I could have. 
And uh, yeah, we, we, our conclusion was if the Navy had tried to take us where, uh, beyond where life had already taken us, yeah. it would probably be illegal. So <laughs> <laughs> can't do that. Nice. So anyway, that was, that was, you know, the key point. And then I did um, 18, you know, I got I got a comment on why I, I went from Navy to Army. When I decided at age 30 something to apply to medical school, um, I, I fired off a scholarship request to the Navy and the Army as soon as the first medical school uh, accepted me. And the Navy came back with a three-year scholarship. The Army came back with a four-year one. And I went to my wife with our second child in her tummy. And I said, you know, this is going to be a really expensive endeavor. I think we need to take the four-year scholarship. And so um, I went to the Navy, put on my dress blues, Navy SEAL insignia, all my medals and bangles and beads, and said, hey, I'm going to med school on a four-year scholarship, and Congress is going to pay for it. You need to match the Army's offer. And the guy in charge, uh, who was an 06 at the time, and I was an 05, he looked at me and said, you don't qualify for the 40 years, sorry. And I said, well, thank you for taking the time. And um, I hope we serve together one day. But when we do, I'm going to be in a different uniform. And um, it, you know, it ends up being a really good decision because the Army allowed me to do a straight through residency where the Navy would have put me on a ship at sea for two years in the middle of my residency. And uh, I didn't get it. It took me almost four years to get into medical school, I had to go back to school, take all my prerequisites, biochemistry, uh, physics, everything back again, because the courses were over 10 years old and school said, nope, they don't count. So went back to school at night, working full time as an MBA, which I had already received. And um, when, I, when I got there, I was 36 years old, started my internship at 40, uh, which, you know, being up all night, every other night was really, really an unpleasant experience at 40 years old. Yeah. Uh, but I was in an army uniform and my first assignment was to Fort Bragg, which allowed me to jump out airplanes with the 82nd airborne division. And, you know, I hadn't been there two months before I got, a, I got, uh, an order to lock and load and bring all my gear to a, to an invasion of Haiti. I went, what? I just became a, a doctor. What are you doing? And, uh, Found myself on jump aircraft number one because the, the assault force commander saw there was a Navy, ex-Navy SEAL in his doctor <laughs> group. He said, you're with me. All right, boss, let's go. You know, and, and I, you know, I told him, I said, you know, I haven't been a do Army doctor very long. I'm not sure what I, what we do when we hit the ground. He goes, I, you know, I'll hit the ground fine. I've been jumping out, you know, out of airplanes for 20 years. But uh, what do I do? He says, just keep me alive. I said, I can do that. <laughs> so, so anyway. You know, and then Delta Force comes knocking on my door going, hey, about that Navy SEAL thing. Is that real? Yeah. Want to come play with us? And I'd just been there two months and I said, not right now. You know, been there, done that, done the special ops thing. Why don't you check back with me a couple of years after I've, you know, been a doctor, delivered a few babies, taken care of the things I need to take care of and learn. Two years later to the, to the day, knock, knock, knock. How about now? And um, I said, now's actually good. Let's go play. And so I ended up being the command surgeon for the Army's Delta Force for four years, wow. deployed with them on quick reaction missions, took care of some of the greatest soldiers I've ever had the, the tremendous honor to serve, amazing men who do amazing things every day. And anybody wants to challenge that one, feel free, but you'll wow. lose. Unreal. Unreal. It, it, so I, I got to go back because there's just so many things floating in. And this is kind of the military geek in me. Uh uh, and I've known you for for several months now in, in talking and reading both books. Um, and the the thing I got to ask, so when you made the transition from Navy to Army, what rank were you when you were when you got out of the when you made the transition from the Navy to what rank did was it 
I'm assuming it wasn't just a. Uh, and you said at 05, I believe, when, when you were. So did you go from 05 over to. Yeah. There is the picture of me in the first book. Yeah. In my commander's uniform. That is the only time I wore the commander's uniform. And and in my right hand there yeah. is my commissioning certificate as a second lieutenant in the Army. Oh. Wow. Of 05 to 01. But honestly, that would have happened if I'd have stayed in the Navy. Right. The Navy would have also dropped me down to 01 because as a medical student, you know, wandering around hospitals, people need to know that you are, you know. Right. Uh, makes sense. Dangerous at best. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. So you made the transition. Um, and you, you know, you, you've had an, a very elaborate, uh, career. You said, now you said you started, uh, what was it at 40 years old when Yep, I graduated med school at 40 years old, four years, started at 36, graduated at 40. And then I had a three year residency to do Okay, and you know, military and civilian residency back, back in those days were uh, a lot harder than they are now. They put some hour limits. Now I think you can only work an 80 hour week. Now, back then we were working hundred, 120 hour work weeks and up all night, multiple times. It was, it was tough. So, so Bob, real quick, tell every, tell the listeners, how many years did you put in total? So 18 years in the Navy and 18 years in the army active and reserve that includes medical student and, uh, and, and the Naval Academy. I count that cause I was in a uniform for all four years. In yeah. the Naval Academy. So 36 years start to finish and retired in 2006 and set up private practice here in the Raleigh area and, uh, and have been I just retired two months ago. And congratulations. And it's been fun. You know, yeah. I, I retired just in time. Yeah. Because if listeners <laughs> look at this anytime soon, they're going to know we're in the midst of the COVID crisis, yeah. which I put crisis in quotes. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate. It is unpleasant. But it's not a lot. It's not really much worse than the flu virus that's going around every year. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> I knew you were. I was, I was hoping you were going to say. That. <laughs> oh, that's another show right there. And I can think of several things that you and I could discuss on that. Listen, I want to. I want to switch over. Um, uh, first off, where can people? find more information about both books and, and stuff like that. Why don't you give a uh, website or something like websites, that? It's one for each book. Okay. And uh, I'm going to start uh, offering these as a doctor series where you can buy both, both books at once. But the first book is on um, sealhellweek.com. That's the book's website. That's the uh, six days of impossible at sealhellweek.com. And the second book, Swords and Saints, is at swordsandsaints.com. Perfect. Now, I want to talk about that new book, uh, Swords and Saints. Uh, new book just recently released. Um, what what prompted this this book to come out and how long did it take for you to kind of put this together? The first book, as I said, took me almost four years to write with a lot of research. The second one, having already written a book and heard from my writer readers that they liked it, and mm -hmm. I'm a pretty good writer, was a, was about a year long. And both of them were uh, books of need to, need to tell stories. Okay. Nobody had written a book about Hell Week, and it needed to be written. And I tried to get other people to write it, and when they wouldn't, I said, all right, fine, I'll write it myself. This second book... As I was approaching retirement, I started working on it in, the, in last year as I knew retirement was coming. It, they're all stories about patient experiences that make you laugh, make you cry, make you go, oh, and it talks about my time as, as at war as the 82nd Airborne in the early 
parts of Iraq when I was dealing with gunshot wounds and blast injuries and things that a family doctor never thought they would have to do. But I tell these stories as teaching points to my medical students and the residents and the other doctors I work with. And I just sat down one day and said, you know, these these stories don't need to die with me. So this was a, this was a got to write it down, got to tell the story. It's a piece of history that'll survive me. And I'm very proud of it. Yeah. And well-deserved as well. I think, you know, going through the book, one of the things that, that I absolutely love about it is I'm a visual person and the way that you write the swords and saints, it's, it's almost like for somebody that's reading the book, they, they can visualize them actually standing next to you going through it with you at, at the time. And I, and I, that was one of the things that I really liked about this book. I mean, you're talking about uh, things that you've experienced on the battlefield, uh, and I'm not going to give away any, any of the examples or whatnot, I did, I, but you got to really purchase this book because it, it, it's definitely one that you want on your shelves uh, and, and to read. But it's standing on the battlefield with you, going through certain procedures as patients are coming in and out, to that transition to being a uh, uh, opening up your own medical practice there in, in North Carolina, who your 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 patients absolutely love and adore you, uh, and, and then into retire, then talking uh, briefly as the book ends, going into retirement and and what, and I know the patients down there absolutely miss having you and uh, and whatnot. So I think this is it's such a uh, it, it's it's storytelling at its best. Uh, when you can sit there and visualize, like it's like I was right there going through everything with you. Does that make sense? It, it does, and I appreciate you saying that. You know, I think that's one of the reasons I wrote the first book. Uh, I mean, the second book, because people wrote, read the first book, told me the same thing. It's like, how do you remember that that detail? Yeah. And I said, well, I don't. You know, I made some of it up. I mean, when I tell you there was a seagull flying overhead at the time, that's a visual image that I want people, you know, to feel like they're there. Yeah. And same thing with this one. You know, I have, I have very current and vivid memories of what it's like to stand in an icy cold operating room dressed in scrubs, holding retractors and, you know, wondering about the absolute awe that, that, that occurs in an operating room when you're climbing, you know, wandering around inside of somebody's insides. I mean, I, I, I still am in awe that a, a patient would allow anybody to do that. Yeah. And the responsibility that comes with that was something that I just wanted to tell that story. Yeah, I, I gotta say, Bob, you, you're definitely you, one. You're definitely one of a kind. They don't they don't make men like you anymore. Uh, that's for sure. And I say that respectfully and whole wholeheartedly. Uh, and I think you know that coming coming from me. Um, Swords and Saints, folks. You, it's it's a doctor's journey. Go to swordsandsaints.com. Is that correct, Bob? Did I say yes. that right? Uh, and you can pick up your copy today make sure you, if you listen if you're if you're listening to the show it means you're already online open up another browser go to swords and saints and get your copy today uh this is a book that it, it's not only educational but it, it it puts you on the battlefield it puts you in the operating room it's like you're sitting on bob's shoulder and watching this all happen it's it's a very visual uh, detailed book, and it's it's very very educational. And can I comment on the educational piece? Yes, please. There's a really important other reason that I wrote this book because I want it to be available to anybody that thinks they might want to be a doctor. 
because it walks you through from, you know, trying to get into med school, med school, residency, early doctoring, you know, wartime doctoring, and then, then uh, the later years when you're a teacher, uh, because you need to, you need to see what it's like, uh, uh, the, the learning process. And it's also written for anybody that's ever wondered if it's okay to ask their doctor if they know what they're doing. Because oh, good many, point. many times we don't. And the good doctors are the ones that know what they don't know and ask for help. The dangerous ones. And, and unfortunately, this applies a lot to our current uh, broken medical system. Uh, our PAs and nurse practitioners are, are minimally trained to do their jobs. And it takes years, as it does for doctors, to become good at what they do. So when you go to the urgent care with a rash and they tell you it's X, it may or may not be. And if it doesn't make sense to you, it's okay to ask because all of us are trained to know that the good ones know what they don't know. And, and I think the most powerful thing I've ever said to any of my patients is I don't know what this is, but the technology exists to find out. So we're going to do a biopsy or we're going to do a test and you need to work with me. And when I know what it is, we'll go down that pathway. So it's, um, you know, it, it's an important book for anybody that ever wondered about the medical system, which is, you know, drastically broken right now and is in a process. Uh, the, the, this COVID crisis is teaching us what we, what we can't do. And um, the, the reimbursement systems, the organizations that run our medical systems, they're changing as we speak. And, uh, and we're heading down a path that will lead to a better system. Um, and and, and I, I pray for that every day. Do you uh, so you really think it's going down a better path? It, it's going to get better. You do you see that it that it's happening? So <clears throat> I think one of the last sentences in my book is that the system will change, and that change is inevitable. Perfect, perfect. I just two more questions for you, Bob. One is most memorable moment throughout your career or can you can you think of one oh sure um and and the one chapter in my book that i can't read aloud without <coughs> choking up is a chapter uh, as a medical student when i uh, saw my own son almost die at the hands of um, well-meaning physicians the surgeon saved his life and the intensive care ward almost killed him um, and and you know i look back on that and i and i end that chapter by saying it changed me forever it literally changed me forever having having been a parent dealing with the possible death of your firstborn child made me a better doctor because I knew up close and personal the kind of fear that disease can create in people's minds. Wow. That gave me goosebumps. <laughs> um, last question. Any, uh, if you could give one piece of advice for somebody that's listening that wants to become a medical student or, or get down into the medical field, uh, what advice would you give them? Wow. Um, I would say go for it. The system that is um, changing now will be better. You know, med school is four years, residency is three to seven years. You know, by then the system's going to be better. Um, warning, uh, we're headed towards 
in a so, more socialized system, and there is no opportunity of significance for people that want to open their own practice and practice independently. Uh, one of the, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there, one of the amazing pieces of our current medical system is uh, the government has granted um, exemption from the antitrust monopoly laws to the insurance companies. They're only industry in our in the United States that has been exempted from the price fixing rules of all other businesses is the uh, medical insurance companies. And so what they've done in order to support the government's goal to move towards a single payer system is they have cut the rates paid to independent doctors by over 50%. They said same people saying the pay, same insurance rates uh, comes to see an independent doctor, the payment to the doctor is half of what it is if you're part of an organization. So only 13% of family physicians are, are still out there as private practitioners. We've all had to affiliate and that's a, a marvelously clever trick by our, our government to force us into, you know, a new environment. Just know that environment is there. It's part of the future that you're going to go to. Uh, they'll, you know, make a good salary, make a good living, work normal hours and and have fun doing it because uh, medicine is still the most amazing experience, I think, that anybody could ever do uh, by virtue of the trust that people put in you. Absolutely. Bob, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. <laughs> My pleasure, sir. Folks, again, Swords and Saints, A Doctor's Journey. That's Bob's new book. Make sure you go check it out at www.swordsandsaints.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Heroes Published. Heroes Published.